0: SW media Hey everybody, it's A-G, in solidarity with the response to the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. On Tuesday, June 2nd, the Daily Beans, along with our network Starburns Audio, will be observing Blackout Tuesday as a day to reflect with our communities. As such, we are releasing Tuesday's episode at 11.59 p.m. Pacific Time on Monday, and we will be shuttering our social media accounts. We encourage you to join us in this action to provoke accountability and change. Hello and welcome to The Daily Beans for Tuesday, June 2nd, 2020. Today, an independent autopsy shows George Floyd died of asphyxiation, Trump unloads on governors from his bunker in the White House. Facebook employees stage a virtual walkout. Judge Sullivan responds to Flynn's writ of mandamus. Trump has a call with Putin. Canada and Britain oppose Russia rejoining the G7. And 15 West Point cadets called back by Trump test positive for COVID. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody. Jordan's going to phone it in today. Uh, I am here reporting uh, uh, from lockdown. And uh, thank you, first of all, for all of your incredible responses to the Mueller She Wrote uh, series finale. Uh, Just absolutely um, so touched by um, everything that um, all the messages that you are sending. Uh, And, you know, don't worry. We're going to continue to bring the beans um, here on this podcast. And if, you know, things come up in the future, there's no reason not to resurrect the number one podcast. covering the Mueller investigation, so we'll, we'll keep you posted. Um, we have a very, very, very heavy show today. Um, we have an interview with uh, former state and federal prosecutor Ellie Honig. We're going to discuss uh, the George Floyd case and uh, Keith Ellison taking over, who is the Attorney General of Minnesota. And we're going to also discuss the Flynn case, um, although when we recorded, we recorded before um judge sullivan responded to flynn's writ of mandamus and since then it's come out so i'll be covering that in the b block from news under the radar uh also we need a theme for this friday's live stream q a happy hour so if you have any ideas hit us up on twitter at daily beans pod and let us know what you think and our new show quarantine confessions will debut this saturday june 6th search for it wherever you get your podcasts patrons will get the show in their feed automatically And they'll get it a day early on Friday. So without further ado, uh, let's get to the latest COVID updates from Jordan Coburn in Hot Notes. Hot Notes. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Jordan's
1: Corn Beans. I've got a few different stories for you today related to COVID-19 stuff. I'm going to jump right into it because it's kind of a long show today. So forgive the lack of dumb banter. But our first story, uh, first headline... I should say, is coming out of the Military Academy story about 15 cadets from the U.S. Military Academy Class of 2020 who were brought back for graduation where Trump was supposed to give their commencement address tested positive for COVID-19. This is according to a U.S. Army spokesperson. The quote is about one and a half percent of the class of 2020 who were brought back have tested positive. Uh, None of the cadets that had COVID-19 were symptomatic, and they added that no cadet has contracted through person-to-person contact while under the Army's care, and that the people that were infected are isolated. Their class size is about 1,000 cadets. Some other updates. uh, There's a national poll, a nationwide um, Washington Post-ABC News poll that came out that shows something interesting but predictable. Apparently, when it comes to reopening and the priorities right now surrounding the COVID-19 crisis pandemic, 81% of Democrats say that trying to control the spread of the virus is what's most important right now, whereas 66% of Republicans say that restarting the economy is more important. And... That sounds about right, but it feels good, kind of, to just have it be done in a poll so I'll know that I'm not just stuck in some Twitter sphere that feeds me all the bullshit that I want to see, and this is very real. This is what is happening and where people stand. So, again, kind of predictable, also a bummer. Next headline coming out of Mexico. Mexico lifted their... COVID-19 lockdown on Monday. It had lasted for 70 days, but their federal and local governments are not, you know, giving everybody, like, the the total go-ahead by any means. They're replacing the lockdown with some measures, a lot of measures, uh, as the country is still trying to contain COVID-19. Um, the nation's COVID-19 czar. Hugo Lopez-Catel, he said that federal guidelines on opening businesses would barely budge, really. Uh, He said only a few industries, construction, auto manufacturing, and mining would be added to the essential list of businesses. Next up, coming out of Michigan, Governor Gretchen Whitmer on Monday. She lifted the stay-at-home orders and is allowing some more businesses to reopen within the week. Uh, they're permitted to open their doors on Thursday, and restaurants and bars are going to be able to serve customers on site starting next Monday, and both of those are going to have the caps of people that can be in at one time, but they also have some new stuff coming out for outdoor gatherings effective immediately. Outdoors, up to 100 people can gather uh, with social distancing, And indoor gatherings, there are still restrictions on that to no more than 10 people being permitted. And next Monday, also, public swimming pools and day camps are going to open up. Uh, Face masks will still have to be worn in public spaces. And still uh, telework is being advised and encouraged. Their quote The data has shown that we are ready to carefully move our state into the next phase, but we owe it to our brave frontline heroes to get this right. That's from Whitmer. And my final story, coming out of Congress. Chuck Schumer and Bernie Sanders on Monday called on Congress to, quote, act with a fierce sense of urgency, end quote, and um, pass new COVID-19 relief legislation, as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Reports coming out of the Congressional Budget Office are projecting the U.S. gross domestic product is going to lose nearly $16 trillion over the next 10 years because of COVID-19. And uh, because of that fact, really effective steps need to be taken immediately in ways that will address the communities that need resources first and most heavily um just that needs to be what happens basically which is what i believe you will get in a bill that is reflective of democrats having authored it versus republicans who don't seem to uh i mean we just talked about the poll their priorities lie with just restarting the economy in in general as opposed to mitigating the spread of COVID-19, let alone what communities are being hit by it the most still, and will probably continue to be hit by those second, third waves that are coming. Um, But economically, it's just a complete mess. Here's a quote uh, in the joint statement that says, how can Senator McConnell look at these catastrophic economic numbers and believe there is no urgency to protect America's working families? At a time of massive wealth and income inequality, how can President Trump believe... That what this country needs is another huge tax break, tax break for the top 1%. The American people cannot afford to wait another month for the Senate to pass legislation. They need our help now. End quote. So, couldn't have said it better myself. That's why they're in Congress. I think there's zero chance of something that they uh, would want to get passed Basically making it through their GOP counterparts, but they're calling on them to do it. And hopefully if you can get in there and appeal to their economic sensibilities in a way that also is inclusive of the kinds of problems that us Democrats care about, you know, like taking care of people and shit, then maybe we can get something done. Why not? Why not have high hopes? With a side of probably not, but they made that statement together and made it official we'll see what happens that's my segment for today everybody please seriously take care of yourselves i've been doing a shite job at checking in with myself and uh, kind of you know allowing myself to maybe sort of guide how things are being processed through my brain and body, and surroundings, and everything, and that's important to do, and I know it's really insane, and almost virtually impossible to try to steer the psyche ship in any way right now, but as much as you can, especially for people, for those of us that struggle with mental health stuff, uh, you can go down a spiral real quick, as a lot of you know, and be present, try to catch those spirals, and treat yourself well, because you can't do a lot of great stuff for other people if you're not chilling on your own be well i love you all so much
0: seriously i really really do have a good night all right thanks for those updates jordan we'll be right back with headlines from under the radar stay with us Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by Ritual. It is so important these days to focus on our nutrition and our health. We need to keep our immune systems strong. That's why I want to share my new ritual, the obsessively researched vitamin for women called Ritual. Ritual's essentials have the nutrients most of us don't get enough of from food, definitely me, because I'm an intermittent faster and I'm paleo, and they give you these essentials all in their clean, absorbable forms. There's no shady additives. Uh, two easy-to-take capsules provide nine nutrients you need to support a strong foundation for your health. I started taking Ritual over a year ago. I feel more energy. I have more clarity mentally. I feel good knowing I'm keep you know getting all the vitamins my body needs. Um, And also, Ritual Essential for Women is the ultimate multivitamin to help fill the gaps in your diet from D3 to omega-3. And their No Nausea Capsule is gentle on an empty stomach, which is perfect uh, for me, especially since I'm an intermittent faster. I can't always take my vitamins with food. And there's a mint tab in every bottle to keep it fresh so you don't get that you know, re-upping of that fishy aftertaste common with omega-3s. They use vegan-friendly, sugar-free, non-GMO, gluten-free, and allergen-free ingredients and rituals delivered directly to you. A subscription is easy to start and it's easy to snooze and it's only a dollar a day to have all the essential nutrients your body needs. Delivered every month, no strings attached. Better health hasn't happened overnight, and right now, Ritual is offering our listeners ten percent off during your first three months. So fill in the gaps in your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit Ritual.com/dailybeans to start your Ritual today. That's ten percent off during your first three months at Ritual.com/dailybeans. Hey everybody, welcome back. Uh, so today, two stories broke after. We recorded our interview with Ellie Honig, so I'm going to update you on those first so you have the full story. First, an independent autopsy commissioned by George Floyd's family found that George Floyd's death was a homicide and the unarmed black man was murdered. Uh, Well, died of asphyxiation from sustained pressure. Uh, The autopsy says compression to Floyd's neck and back led to the lack of blood flow to his brain. Floyd was essentially dead on the scene in Minneapolis on May 25th, says Ben Crump, attorney for the Floyd family. Multiple videos of Floyd's death show former police officer Derek Chauvin's knee on Floyd's neck, along with other officers kneeling on his back. Chauvin had a knee on Floyd's neck neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds in total. And for two minutes and 53 seconds of that, Floyd was unresponsive. According to a criminal complaint released by that's according to the criminal complaint released by the Hennepin County Attorney's Office. Quote, the ambulance was his hearse, Crump told reporters Monday. George died because he needed a breath. He needed a breath of air. Quote, there is no other health issue that could cause or contribute to the death, said Dr. Michael Baden, one of the independent medical examiners. Quote, police have this false impression that if you can talk, you can breathe. That is not true. CNN reached out to uh, Hennepin County officials for comment. Um, No comment. Uh, Homicide is the death of a person caused by another person. It includes murder and manslaughter. Siobhan is charged with third degree murder uh, and second degree manslaughter. Crump said he would be charged with first degree murder. He should be charged with first degree murder. And I'm going to speak with the uh, burdens of proof for, you know, and, and the different elements of third, second and first degree murder with Ellie Honig later in the show. Uh, I also spoke with Ellie about the Flynn case and the response due to the appellate court by Judge Sullivan. I thought it was due tomorrow. It was due today. And since we spoke, that response has been filed from Elliot Setzer at Lawfare. Quote, Judge Emmett Sullivan of the U.S. District Court of the District of Columbia submitted a brief to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit outlining his rationale for declining to immediately dismiss the case against former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn after the Justice Department moved to drop the charges. A panel of judges on the D.C. Circuit had ordered Sullivan on May 21st to respond to an emergency request by Flynn that the appeals court force him to drop the case. This 46-page response, drafted by Sullivan's attorney, Wilkinson, um, is—you should read it. Uh, The introduction reads as follows. Let me give you the intro. This is just the intro. It is unusual for a criminal defendant to claim innocence and move to withdraw his guilty plea after repeatedly swearing under oath that he committed the crime. It is unprecedented for an acting U.S. attorney to contradict the solemn representations that career prosecutors made time and again and undermine the district court's legal and factual findings in moving on his own to dismiss the charge years after two different federal judges accepted the defendant's plea. The reversals presented Judge Sullivan with several substantial questions. Was he required to grant the government's post plea motion to dismiss and reverse his findings that Mr. Flynn's false statements to the FBI about his contacts with Russia were material without any inquiry into the facts set forth herein and surrounding the government's filing? What implications would dismissal have on Mr. Flynn's separate false statements to the Department of Justice about his work for Turkey? And uh, by the way, those were part of his plea agreement, but not addressed in the government's motion. Do the facts here provide reason to question the presumption of regularity that ordinarily attaches to prosecutorial decisions in the United States versus Fokker? And what, if anything, should Judge Sullivan do about Mr. Flynn's sworn statements to the court where he repeatedly admitted to the crime and to the voluntariness of his guilty plea, only now to claim he never lied to the government and was pressured and misled into pleading guilty? Because the parties before him now support the same relief— Judge Sullivan turned to an approach used by federal courts across this country, as well as in district courts, in this circuit. He appointed an amicus to present counter-arguments and set a briefing schedule, giving the government and Mr. Flynn the last word. The, questions before this court, uh, the question before this court is whether it should short-circuit this process, forbid even a limited inquiry into the government's motion, and order that motion granted. The answer is no. Mandamus is an extraordinary remedy that should be denied where the district court has not actually decided anything. (laughs) The government's motion is pending before Judge Sullivan and could well be granted, so Mr. Flynn can obtain the exact relief he seeks through ordinary judicial process. Moreover, Sullivan's consideration of the government's motion is not clearly foreclosed by Rule 48 or this court's precedence, as would be required to justify mandamus. The government's motion acknowledges that Rule 48 does not require Judge Sullivan to serve as a mere rubber stamp. And while this court observed in Fokker that the separation of powers principles limit a judge's role in reviewing the government's charging decisions, it also explained that different separation of powers considerations may exist where the district court already accepted a plea and was proceeding to sentencing. Finally, the unusual facts of this case raise at least a plausible judicial question, anticipated by Fokker, whether the presumption of regularity for prosecutorial decisions is overcome. Mr. Flynn's case has garnered considerable attention. That is no reason to resolve it outside the normal judicial process. This is a court of review, not of first view. Uh, and then she cites Cutter versus Wilkinson. Uh, the questions presented should be resolved by the district court in the first instance. If Judge Sullivan's decision is anything short of what the party sought, this court will have an opportunity to review it without writing on a blank slate. Because there is no reason for this court to enter the fray now, quote, from uh, Rial Nishiri. Uh That's uh, another case citation. This petition should be denied. She then breaks down the facts of the background of this case, Um, First of all, that in 2017, the government charged Flynn with making materially false statements, and he admitted his guilt. Then in late 2018, the government and Mr. Flynn reaffirmed his criminal conduct, conduct, and Judge Sullivan found that Mr. Flynn made materially false statements. Next, she addressed that in 2019 and early 2020, Flynn alleged Brady violations. The government and Judge Sullivan confirmed that the false statements were material. Then she outlines that in early 2020, Mr. Flynn submitted a sworn affidavit contradicting his prior sworn statements. And in May 2020, the government contradicted its prior representations to the court and moved to to dismiss. And finally, she says Judge Sullivan establishes a process for deciding the government's motion. And that, of course, is the amicus. Um, She then lists her three reasons the court should deny Flynn's mandamus. First, Flynn can secure the relief he seeks without mandamus and cites law case law, saying the general principle which governs proceedings by mandamus is that whatever can be done without employment of that extraordinary remedy may not be done with it. So, if you don't need mandamus, you can't file mandamus. Uh, The second reason she gives is that Flynn has failed to show a clear and indisputable right to relief under Rule 48, citing more case law, that this court cannot use mandamus to remedy anything less than a clear abuse of discretion or usurpation of judicial power. And the third reason uh mandamus isn't warranted. Is that the court would benefit from Sullivan's evaluation of the case, saying Sullivan has adopted a sensible process for evaluating the substantial questions of the case, and that process, in his appointment, uh, that process is his appointment of an amicus, uh, Judge Gleason, in the absence of anyone presenting for the prosecution. She again cites case law, saying the court cannot be an advocate; someone else must fill the void created by this breakdown in the adversarial process. She also brings up the fact that denying mandamus would actually facilitate an efficient resolution to this case, and a denial would allow the court to consider all the legal issues, including contempt, all at once, instead of piecemeal. It would be faster and easier to just let the judge decide this. So then she concludes, stating simply, conclusion, the petition should be denied. So you should read that. Uh, That is what a good court filing looks like, not like the piece of garbage Tim Shea turned in. Uh, or the mandamus that Flynn's lawyers uh filed. That's just absolute garbage. Here she's she's it's a, it's just beautiful. Look at it. She's lists all this case law. I didn't even go through half of the case law that she she discussed. I only mentioned just the ones that were in the, you know, in the main section. Uh and today, Trump had a conference call with governors where he tore into them for being weak on the protests. Uh, in case you hadn't heard, Though, when protesters arrived at the White House last night, Trump was whisked away to an underground bunker and they shut off the lights that illuminate the White House. Although it's unclear why the administration turned the lights off, the dark building stood in stark contrast to the fires burning around the city. It also symbolized a response to what was happening outside the White House gates as protesters continued to mourn the death of George Floyd, a black man murdered last week by a police officer who pinned him down by the neck with his knee. According to Vox News, in the past this bunker under the White House has been reserved for situations like terrorist attacks. President G.W. and Vice President Dick Cheney took shelter there following the 9-11 attacks. And hours after the protest dispersed outside the White House on Friday, Trump emerged and took to Twitter to lash out against the protesters. After thanking the Secret Service for their protection and saying he couldn't have felt more safe, he implied that the protesters would have been attacked with the most vicious dogs and ominous weapons if they had set foot inside the White House. It's of note that in 2014, Trump criticized Obama for turning off the lights at the White House on Twitter, saying the lights went out at the White House today, symbolic of the Obama presidency. Just tweet for everything. But on that call with the governors, everyone that listened to it was just blown away. In the audio, which was obtained by NBC, Trump berated the governors for their response to the protests, repeatedly criticizing New York, Los Angeles, and Philadelphia, and urged law enforcement to crack down and make more arrests. Quote, You have to arrest people. You have to try people. You have to put them in jail for 10 years, and you'll never see this again, Trump said on the call. He wants to jail people for exercising their right to protest. Trump called the governors fools and expressed anger with Democratic mayors, in particular over the protests and unrest ravaging cities. He was uh, described by one person on the call as losing it. Quote, you have to dominate. If you don't dominate, you're wasting your time. They're going to run over you. You're going to look like a bunch of jerks the president said. The president also called the initial response in Minnesota weak and pathetic and called the state a laughing stock all over the world. A city in pain. Trump focused primarily on Antifa and Occupy Wall Street, which he said was handled well by comparison. This is like Occupy Wall Street. It was a disaster until one day somebody said, that's enough. Attorney General Bill Barr told the governor's that the Justice Department believes protesters are heading to other states with less of law enforce- less of a law enforcement presence where they can go and overwhelm the local police forces. Barr says there needs to be a focus on stopping professional instigators and the leadership uh, group. So yeah, that would be cracking down on white, supremacists, white supremacist groups. And Russia. That's what you need to do. During the call, Trump claimed to have intelligence showing who the bad actors and professional instigators were, though he didn't elaborate. Maybe Putin told him. Those are, my, those are my people. Trump also asked to enact laws against flag burning, saying the federal government would back them up if they did. Second First Amendment violation. Laws against flag burning. We've already had that decided by the Supreme Court of the United States. And throw people for, in jail for 10 years for protesting. The White House billed this call as a video teleconference with governors, law enforcement, and national security officials on keeping American communities safe. And finally, we learned from Russian state media, confirmed by Reuters, that Trump spoke to Putin today, mostly about the G7 and oil markets. Trump said on Saturday he would postpone a G7 summit, G7 summit and he had hoped to host next month. He, would, he had hoped to host it next month, but he's postponing it until September or later, and expanded the list of invitees to include Australia, Russia, South Korea, and India. So far, Britain and Canada have spoken out against the idea of readmitting Russia to the forum since it was expelled in 2014 after annexing the Crimea region. Putin also thanked Trump for the ventilators we sent. And they discussed the need for effective arms control, even though we just pulled out of the Open Skies Treaty, and we'll probably pull out a new start. We'll be right back with that interview I promised with former federal and state prosecutor and CNN legal analyst Ellie Honig, so stay with us. Hey everybody, it's AG. This Helping a Daily Beans is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is it preventing you from achieving your goals? Are you extra anxious right now? Hard being uh, on lockdown, all the things going on outside our doors. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in less than 24 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. Everybody needs a little help from time to time. I've sought help for my PTSD, still do, really helped me, and I highly recommend seeking help when you need it. BetterHelp services are available for clients worldwide with a broad range of expertise in their counselor network, a lot of expertise that might not be available locally where you are. Uh, But you can log into your account anytime and send messages to your counselor, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses, and you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. They make it easy and free to change your counselor if you need to. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So visit their website and read their testimonials like this one by user SH, who says about their counselor, I've never had therapy before and Lydia has been great. Uh, she's been a great introduction to the process. I was a little hesitant about. Lydia is a good listener and has insightful feedback. I appreciate our sessions and look forward to them. So visit BetterHelp.com/dailybeans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. There's a special offer for Daily Beans listeners: get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com/dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today is former federal prosecutor and a former state prosecutor and CNN legal analyst, Ellie Honig. Ellie, welcome back.
2: Thank you. Glad to be with you. And it's funny because usually people focus on the federal prosecutor part, the SDNY part. But I think the stuff we're going to talk about today is really going to be state level heavy, AG heavy and your county level uh, prosecutor heavy, which I do know as well.
0: Yes. One of the big things that I wanted to speak to you about is Keith Allison. And I think that this is a good move. I want your input on it. And I certainly am really, really um, uh, hopeful about, you know, elections going forward for these local, state and county prosecutors um, in in the wake of this. That's one of the things that we, you know, that I think we as a country need to focus on. Um, yeah. So Keith Ellison, attorney general of Minnesota, he's been given control of the George Floyd case. And our, our listeners will remember him. Everyone's like, that sounds familiar. It sounds familiar. There's so many names to remember. But he was <laughs> a rep in the, in the U.S. House uh, from from Minnesota, former DNC chair. And he, he was also the rep uh, that was sworn in on the Koran. And, you know, everybody was like, that's amazing. That's awesome. Yep. So tell us why this move to put him in charge of the George, the George, George Floyd case is a good move.
2: Yeah, I definitely think this is a good move. A couple reasons. First of all, I think that the it's called the county attorney in in Minnesota. The the, the nomenclature varies in in New York; they're called DAs, and in, in New Jersey, they're county prosecutors. In Minnesota, they're county attorneys. But this guy, I think his name was Michael Freeman, Mike Freeman, that we saw stood up, just did not seem to be up to the task. And, and I mean that in a couple respects. One, at his press conference, he was a mess. He misstated various things. At one point, he said. There's evidence that does not point to guilt, which then his office had to walk back. You can't be sloppy when you're when you're talking in front of that kind of audience with that kind of stakes. So he was sloppy. Two, he just looked to me to be unsteady on his feet and nervous with the spotlight. But three, and most importantly, the complaint that his office drafted up to, to arrest officer Sh- or former officer Chauvin was somewhere between, or maybe some combination of sloppy and almost suspicious in some of the things that it did and did not say that caused me to question whether he was really fully committed to seeking justice in this case. And I'll give you just one example in the, in the section of the complaint where they describe the statements that George Floyd made while he was being crushed. They, they do mention the fact that George Floyd says things like please and cries out for his mother, but they for for some reason that I cannot begin to explain, leave out the most important, most traumatic things he says, which is I can't breathe and don't kill me. Mm-hmm. Those are on the tape. And they, why would you leave those out? I mean, tactically, if you left those out, you're an idiot because those are the most obvious things. And, and they're relevant, too. They're not just sensational. They're relevant to the cop's state of mind, which we can talk about more. So it's either he's incompetent and somehow allowed those things to be left out or he left them out for a reason, which is only could only be a bad reason
0: yeah a state of mind is important in this case because under minnesota law the difference between second degree murder and third degree murder which he's currently charged with is third degree murder says depraved heart and willful disregard for human life and uh, but unintentional whereas second degree murder is has intent uh intent in there um and so of course his his state of mind is going to be uh very important now A couple of mechanics questions here at the county level with Freeman, because when he came out and said, you know, there's evidence that this wasn't, you know, a murder, I was like, why are you? That's prejudicial. That's tainting future jury pools. Uh, If I were a prosecutor in this case, I would be asking for a change of venue. I would be asking for. Now, is there a grand jury in in this situation?
2: Right. Right. So, yes, there is or there soon will be. So the next step procedurally is there Mm -hmm. needs to be an indictment. And an indictment is returned by a grand jury. Um, what you'll do is you'll present evidence to the grand jury as a prosecutor. You'll bring in eyewitnesses. You'll show them the videos. And, and a grand jury is a one-sided procedure. There's no defense lawyer in the room. Chauvin is not in the room. Um, and it, it's largely a formality. And then the grand jury, the part that may not be a formality is the grand jury has to vote on which charges to return. And I think, as you discussed, I think the third degree murder charge, which is already charged. Is the easier, safer charge. Mm -hmm. I think there should be a second degree charge as well for intentionality. And the statements are important there, right? Because at a certain point, I mean, look, you should know already when you're crushing a guy's neck for eight minutes, it's going to seriously injure or kill the person. But then when the person says you're killing or please don't kill me, that's a pretty good clue. I even think there's an argument for first degree, which is intentional and premeditated. Now, people think premeditated. They think, oh, you're back at the clubhouse mapping out a plan. That that is a form of premeditation, but premeditation also can happen very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if someone's right, if you if you have enough time to understand what you're doing and you keep doing it, so um, the grand jury will then vote to indict um, and on which charges, and then we'll be off into the into the pre-trial and then trial process. But I do think it's interesting about the the public statements that have been made. And I think both sides need to be careful. I mean, I understand what the authorities are trying to do. They're trying to reassure people that justice will be sought. But there are a lot of statements being made by a lot of people in public positions of power that that the defense is going to argue are prejudicial to a jury. And I mean the DA, I mean the AG, I mean elected officials, I mean mayors, governors, senators, national figures. Now- I don't fault them. I understand what they're trying to do. i probably do the same thing in that position. But look for the defense lawyer to argue for either a dismissal, that the statements are too prejudicial, but that'll never succeed, or a change in venue to move it to some other venue that they perceive to be more favorable.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely. And and of course, with Freeman and his statements, uh, I know that uh, a lot of times the... Attorney General will prep the grand jury by telling them what's going on. And I, my biggest fear, and the reason I'm glad Keith Ellison is here now, is because he seemed to, I don't know, have some bias toward uh, exonerating this cop or these cops. And so just, you know, with his statement about we have evidence that, you know, uh, that this isn't a thing. And so I'm, I'm very glad about Keith. And one other question about Ellison here, can he... Order a different autopsy because this autopsy report, and I've spoken to many doctors and a couple of former MEs, with the with the phrase potential intoxicants, um, I've never seen that. It's either you, you give their tox screen results or, or you don't. You wait until you have them. Uh, I don't understand that at all. So I'm wondering if Ellison can order a second autopsy. Yeah.
2: So and I have experience because one of the things I did with the state is oversee the medical examiner's office. And I've done murder cases where you're going to need toxicology and and an autopsy and you put on the medical examiner as a witness. So I first of all, and I wrote about this in my piece for CNN, I think that it's a preliminary autopsy report that came out. They change, but it's a total mess. First of all, as you said, what's a what the hell is a potential intoxicant? Mm -hmm. Is that is that like a I've never there is no such thing.
0: Well, hey, Ellie, I've got a bottle of wine in my cabinet. That's a potential intoxicant. Right.
2: <laughs> right. I was going to say, I guess if there's a brownie sitting on the table and you don't know if it has weed in it or not, that's a potential intoxicant. But when it, when you're it's talking got, about blood it's work, got, uh, intox, it's got like, kinetic uh, t- intoxicants yeah, in Right, exactly. So potential intoxicant is bizarre. Also this bizarre conclusion about um, the mixed cause of death. I mean, Look, I'm no Dr. Sanjay Gupta, although I did consult his, his take on this, but you don't need to be Dr. Sanjay Gupta to know that a, a grown man putting his full body weight through the point of his knee on a person's neck for eight minutes, of course causes death. Now, maybe, maybe Floyd had underlying health conditions. Maybe he had an actual intoxicant in his system, who knows? But that does not change the legal calculus whatsoever. Yeah. If, if If this man would be alive, but for that knee to his neck, which he certainly would be, then it's murder. And so, okay, what can Ellison do? Yes, you can have, oh, and let me say this also, by the way, about autopsies and toxicology. I think people think that autopsies are a little more scientific than they are. In other words, there's more art than people, it's not entirely art, there is science to it, but there is art in drawing the conclusions. And three different, I've seen situations where two or three different MEs, medical examiners, will look at an autopsy and come out to different conclusions. One may say the cause of death here was suicide. And, and another may say, no, I find it, that it's um, undetermined. And another may fa- say, this is homicide. So th- it's not necessarily, it's not like running a DNA uh, test or, or, a, or a fingerprint or a hair sample or anything thing like that. Now, what can Ellison do? He can have another autopsy done by another medical examiner in that office. the the good The good part of doing that is you may get a clearer result. But the bad part is you can't wash this one. And so the defense lawyer, if he likes the first one better, will have every right to call the the ME, the medical examiner, who did the first one, and to cross examine. In other words, you, the first one happened for better or for worse, and it's not going anywhere. If you think it's really bad and really needs to be fixed, then yes, you can you can. You can commission another one to be done, but it, it doesn't erase the damage done by if there's a bad um, autopsy that's done the first time.
0: No, and it's it's again prejudicial. Um, yeah. In your experience, uh, having worked, you know, run a, an ME's office, do
2: are ME's tight with the cops? What's the general? Huh. Um, no, ME's medical examiners for the most part are, I mean, at least in New Jersey, where I oversaw the office, I mean, that was one small part of my job, but they're physically separate. Most cops would never even meet or have anything to do with the ME. I suppose there could be minor variations. It could, but, but by and large, there will be some prosecutors who will know the medical examiner because they will have to talk to the medical or have put the medical examiner on as a trial witness. But by and large, the cops know, but that actually gets to another point. Another reason why I think it's a good thing that this case was moved from the local level to the state AG level, because generally speaking, the more local your prosecutor's office, the closer the relationships are going to be with the cops. And I don't even necessarily mean with Officer Chauvin or former Officer Chauvin in particular, but just in general. And it's a little more day to day. If you walk through a county prosecutor's office, you'll see cops all over the place, um, local cops. And, but if you walk through an AG's office, you won't see that. You'll see state-level detectives or maybe some feds. And if you walk through a, a, a federal, uh, an a-, a U.S. attorney's office, you'll see feds everywhere. You'll see FBI agents and DEA agents work. But, but the more local you are as a prosecutor's office, the more intertwined you are with the Metro PD there, the Minneapolis PD. So it's good to get that level of separation.
0: Yeah. Now, we learned from... Uh... The Mueller report, at least I did, um, that uh, under fe- federal criminal procedure, it says if you're going to indict somebody, you better be able to obtain and maintain in the face of appeal that conviction. Now, at the state level, uh, is that sort of is that the the same deal? And if you personally were prosecuting this case uh, and you had an OK case uh, for first degree and a slam dunk for second degree, which one would you prosecute?
2: So. There, there's a lot of sort of theoretical debate about this. The law on what do you need to, in order to indict? The law says probable cause, which basically means 50.001% likely. In practice, if you're indicting cases based on 50.001, you're not doing the job right. You need, And and as you said, the DOJ guidance is you should essentially be ready to go to a jury and convict. You You don't quite have to be at beyond a reasonable doubt, but you need to be pretty close. And I think that's where most prosecutors come down, which is I need more than probable cause, even though the law only requires probable cause. I don't quite need to be able to make my closing argument to the jury right now, but I need to be confident that I'm going to get there. Hmm. Um, so now in terms of how I would charge this case, I was kind of, I don't know what the right if the right word is notorious, but I, <laughs> I do not believe... Uh, I do not believe in overcharging a case by any means that actually bugs me when people overcharge a case with no intention to really follow through. In other words, there is a cheap prosecutorial tactic of, Oh, I'll just charge it as first, second, third degree, but I never, I have no intention on going to the mat on first or second. I'm just hoping he'll take a third degree plea, right? That I don't like. I wouldn't do that, but this case is going to trial. Like Mm -hmm. there's no plea that's going to happen here. I would actually be comfortable charging it as a first. Mm -hmm. Um, now, a couple things that are important a- and the arguments are what i said you'd have to prove intentionality and premeditation and i would argue to a jury that at some point in that in that interminable 8 minutes 40 whatever seconds i mean that is an eternity you, th- this officer had to have formed intent and premeditation kicked in now one thing that's important to know it's not all or nothing if you charge it as let's say first degree the ju- the jury doesn't just decide first degree or not guilty. They can say not guilty on the first, not guilty on the second, guilty on the third, guilty on the manslaughter. That's what we mean by the phrase lesser included charges. So Uh there's kind of no downside. I mean, you might charge it as a first, you might lose the first and you you might win the second or that, you know, in other words, the jury will draw a line. They, they might say, We find it to be first degree and everything below it. They may say we find it to be only third degree and everything below it. But I would feel confident it would be an aggressive charge and an aggressive argument. But I I think the facts are there for first degree on Chauvin that the other cops, I think, are a different story.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then um, given the chief of police's statements on this saying, you know, complicit, they were complicit. um, Can can Ellis, does he have the authority to release the body cam footage?
2: So, yeah, first of all, the, I thought the police chief's comments were interesting when he said complicit. I mean, you know, complicit isn't, an, and I think the police chief knows this and, and would tell you this, complicit is, a, I think he meant that in, in the normal everyday use of the term. It's not a legal term, but I think the legal term that prosecutors will be looking at here is accomplice liability, or aiding, also known as aiding and abetting, which basically means if you encourage, help, assist, support, etc., another person in committing a crime then you are liable for that crime. So I think that's what El, what what excuse me the police chief was sort of referring to. What was the, what was the second part of your question? I forgot.
0: Can, can is does he have the authority to release the body cam footage?
2: Oh. Um yes, he does if he wants, but but it's kind of like because he's the AG, he can. I mean, we struggled with this in Jersey. When I was there, we went from almost no body cameras in the entire state, and we put on a hard push. We put a lot of funding out and got body cams to the point where they were basically everywhere in the state. This is 2014, 15, 16, and now they're omnipresent. And there's not a set rule on whether and when you can release these. It's sort of case by case. Now, you try to come up with a uniform but it would always be like, well, our policy generally is to release or not to release, but it would always be like, unless we really need to release for some reason or other. Hmm. And people have tended towards releasing just because in the name of transparency, because if you don't release it, people are going to crucify you. They're going to think you're hiding something for whoever, for one side or the other. So um, at a minimum, these tapes would come out when they were used as trial exhibits, whether they're good, bad, ugly, indifferent, put them out there as soon as you can. P- people need to see this. We have a- too much public interest in this case. If withholding them is only going to be uh, sort of a PR nightmare and undermine really public confidence.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, um, I'm hoping that we'll see superseding, uh, charges for second or first and that, um, I hope, I hope eventually we'll see that body cam footage because that's going to be, that's going to show you whether or not he was resisting arrest. Not that that warrants, you know, putting your knee on their neck for for three minutes after they stop breathing. Um, you know, a lot of these a lot of these ancillary questions don't really change the the basic charge of murder.
2: Right. Right. No, I mean, look, this will I'll be stunned if the grand jury doesn't return at least the third third degree murder charge that's already been lodged. Um, They don't have to, by the way, the fact that that. The the prosecutors have already lodged a third degree murder charge doesn't mean the grand jury automatically must return that. They can disagree. Mm -hmm. But I would look for at least a third degree murder charge. I think it'll be interesting to see whether the prosecutors go for a second degree. I think they're unlikely to try for the first. I think they would see that as being perhaps a bridge too far. I would try it, though.
0: That's it's kind of what I thought as well. Um, But I I think we're right now what the what this country is waiting for is at least a second degree murder charge and for the other three cops to be charged, arrested and charged. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, thank you very much. I know. Uh, also, to, I think it's tomorrow. Um, we we will get uh, Judge Sullivan's response to Flynn's writ of mandamus. I, I think it's tomorrow. That's due, and I think. Oh that's my gonna, gosh. I think that's going to come in. <laughs> i would forgotten f- about that
2: case. <laughs> I, think
0: that, I think that'll come in the form of uh, a, a, a filing from Sullivan's attorney. Um, so I think that's tomorrow. We'll. We'll look at, we'll look and see what happens there. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on later in the week to discuss um, maybe after some of these charges drop and, and uh, in the, in the Siobhan case, and of course, what's going on, keeping us up to date with the Flynn case.
2: Yep. Anytime, AJ. Happy to join you.
0: All right. CNN legal analyst, former state and federal prosecutor, Ellie Honig. Ellie, thanks again for answering our questions. Stay well and stay safe. All right. Coming uh, up right after the break, we have the good news block. So stick around. Hey everybody, it's AG. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you've heard me talk about my Helix mattress. You've heard Jordan talk about hers. You've heard Mandy. You've heard Joelle. We all have them. It's the best mattress, hands down, we've ever slept on. Uh, But now Helix has gone beyond the bedroom and started making sofas. And they just launched an amazing new company called Allform. They're making premium, customizable sofas and chairs shipped right to your door in the mail. What makes Allform so cool is they make it easy to customize a sofa using premium materials, but at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You can pick your fabric, and that fabric, by the way, is spill stain and scratch-resistant. You can pick the color, uh, the color of the legs, the size, the shape, make sure it's perfect for you and your home. They've got armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight-seat sectional, so there's something for everyone. And you can always start small and add. Buy more seats later if you want to your all-form sofa to grow and change with you when you move. Allform sofas are also delivered directly to your home with fast, free shipping. In the past, if you wanted to order a sofa, it would take weeks or even months to arrive, and you would need someone to come and assemble it in your home. You have to get on the phone with a freight company and have a nine-hour delivery window. But Allform just takes three to seven days to arrive in the mail. You can assemble it yourself in a few minutes, no tools necessary. Uh, I got a three-seater sofa in whiskey, um, whiskey whiskey-colored leather. It's so comfy and a cha- uh, I got a chaise lounge with a walnut leg finish it's modern it's mid-century I love it it's uh, roomy super comfortable I can't wait to have people over to sit on it uh, if getting a sofa without trying it in the store sounds risky don't worry you get a hundred days to decide if you want to keep it <clears throat> that's more than three months and if you don't love it They'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. They also have a forever warranty, literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash Daily And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners. That's a huge discount. So go to allform.com slash dailybeans. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is AG and joining me right now is Jordan Coburn. Hey, Jordan. Hey, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. Uh, as can be expected this is normally our good news block um but because of covid you know we have to piecemeal record our our episodes and uh as we were gearing up to record the good news block and we will get to the good news uh i promise but we have to address this uh on live television trump just gave remarks uh from uh the white house saying he is invoking the insurrection act of 1807 and deploying. The United States military, uh, along with a couple of thousand U.S. marshals and the DEA, um, to the states to uh, stop the what he calls the riotous violence from far left extremist Antifa. And um, while he was giving this speech about being the law and order president and, uh, you know, just falling just short of declaring martial law he uh there was a split screen with the the peaceful protest in lafayette park uh jordan you and i've been there a lot of times and yeah yeah they were peacefully sitting protesting um the death of george floyd and apparently the president had a photo op at saint john's episcopal church um which he's never attended And in order to clear the path for him to walk over to that church after his declaration of insurrection, the Insurrection Act, uh, the police tear gassed and fired rubber bullets on the peaceful protesters to move them out of the way so that Trump could have this photo op. And it's been confirmed That this was a a quote-unquote made-for-TV moment. He he fired. They fired tear gas. Bill Barr talked to the. Was seen coming out of the White House to talk to the the police line. To fire tear gas and rubber bullets into the peaceful protesters while Trump is giving a speech about the chaos on the streets and how he is the law and order president and must now call in the militia. And I have. this it's just absolutely incredible uh i don't know what to say about this but it's happening right now uh as as you and i record jordan i know you've been working all up uh, all day up to this point and so have i i just was walking past the television and saw this split screen happening so um i am uh he fired tear gas and rubber bullets into a group of peaceful protesters and i am so angry right now and i don't know i don't know what what to s- i'm speechless
1: yeah i mean it's happening everywhere regardless of whether or not they're ordering it for his photo op police everywhere are unprovoked sending tear gas and rubber bullets into crowds it happened in san diego yesterday one of my good friends got shot she has like a giant well on her leg she got tear gas in her eyes when i went last night we were all in front of the waterfront park that san diego um county building and it was the most peaceful thing every time anyone got on a megaphone it was like calling for peace it was prayer it was chanting and then as soon as the sun went down the police helicopter came over us and announced over their megaphone that it was now considered to be an unlawful assembly and that if we didn't disperse, everybody was going to be arrested. We didn't leave, but it didn't escalate. Still just sat there, you know, chanting, listening to the people speaking. And then at a certain point, the cops just started moving in and they can't arrest everybody at once when it's such a big group. There was hundreds of us. And so they threw... They threw tear gas in. A lot of people had seen on the perimeter that they were starting to move in. And so I was one of those people with my friend. And we went to the like, outside of it. And we didn't get the thick of the tear gas. But we saw the whole scene happen. They just threw it in. And it's a huge fucking... A huge smoke bomb of tear gas. And it just went everywhere. Like I was probably like 500 feet away from where they threw it and like me and my friends I started burning my friends to the point where some you know everybody all these protesters have like baking soda and water and all these mixtures ready to like help your eyes and poured it on his eyes and it was better but th- this that was what they did when nobody nobody escalated anything they just didn't like that
0: we were there yeah they've been doing this uh everywhere in every major city over the past we're going into the seventh night now and um i i remember i i think it was last night or or the day before i shared the first headline from a media organization that got it right where they say police violence erupts around the country yeah that's what this is
1: yeah yeah i really want to like make no mistake about that I'm glad you're you're saying this because so much of the fear right now that is happening is fear of what police are going to do and fear of what the people that support the police like in their militancy and Trump are going to do yesterday when we were walking on the streets I'm sure you all saw the news a tanker drove itself a whole tanker drove itself into a crowd of people and thank god Nobody was hurt except the driver. He got pulled out and apparently got the shit kicked out of him. And now he's in police custody.
0: Ukrainian guy on I-35 in Minnesota.
1: Yeah. And so the whole time we're marching last night, it was terrifying every time we went by a car. Because it would take... It's not far off for something like that to happen. Number one. Number two, anytime there were some people that would like bash a window. That happened a few times over the course of like a f- like three hour march that for the time that I was there. Every single time someone did that, number one, it was a white kid with a skateboard. And number two, the entire crowd would go up to the guy and tell him to stop. And then that was that was it every single time. Never once was it incited. So when they're, t- when they're talking about coming in And taking care of Antifa and the radical left, okay, go and arrest all those fucking kids with skateboards then. Is that what you're gonna do? No, that's not what you're gonna do. You're using that as a cover to keep doing what you're doing. And the most fucked up thing I saw last night is cops planted empty cop cars in the middle of the road on our route, inciting people to attack the cars as bait. Nobody took the bait because everybody, as soon as they turned the corner and saw the cars, it I swear it hit everybody. Everybody was
0: like, what the fuck? This is straight up bait. Well, that's because you and I talked about this the the day before. You and I talked about this on, on Fairfax and Third, uh, just got blocks away from the fucking improv and the comedy store. We've been there up and down that street a million times. That they had, you know, that there were reports that there was a a, like an old cruiser put out there and lit on fire by somebody who didn't look like they were part of the protest. And so, you know, when that news gets out and it does. Yeah, I can imagine y'all turning the corner and being like, ah, bait cars. I know exactly what the fuck is up here. And 100 percent. Yeah. And I'm so glad nobody took the bait. Um because otherwise then you just have you just have media images of burning flaming cop cars and and that right. just gives Trump the fuel to have you know to send in the troops and uh co- you know it's his Reichstag fire it's his I'm the law and order president it's his mm-hmm. it, that's his tool to get reelected it's his only hope since everything else is shit
1: yeah yeah i mean like, they've militarized responses to protests that get above a very low threshold, honestly, for a long time. And so this is, even without his order, it's it's just awful. There was a fucking sniper on top of the building, A.G. I have a video of guys stationed at the top in full gear, looking like they came straight out of Iraq. And my only thought was, I hope they're here to search for the fucking white supremacist that's going to try to come and shoot this place up. That's what I thought. Either that, or if anybody does anything that's a fucking black person or a person of color that they deem for some reason is threatening enough, I'm going to see somebody get shot. That is, that's like, that's not even dramatic right now.
0: No. No, and after seeing what I just saw, I literally watched live on television as the president is giving a dress, orchestrated and and choreographed this uh, firing of tear gas and uh, rubber bullets into a peaceful protest to move them out of the way so that he can go have a photo op at a church he's never attended, to hold a book he's never read, mm-hmm. or to absolutely, it's just... Th- the uh, the level of propaganda is um it's goebels level shit man
1: yeah this is authoritarianism we are in it we are here it is real this is it
0: yeah yeah all right um we're going to obviously keep y'all posted uh on on these events as they unfold we will be talking tomorrow about what sort of uh how this deployment of the military national guard dea u.s marshals how this plays out in cities around the country tonight we'll be talking about that tomorrow and we'll keep you posted and um, uh, i just hope for for peace and justice we can have both Uh, there's just this some this weird belief on the on on the side of Republicans and Trump supporters that you can't have both and and that just isn't just isn't true um, and uh, I am certainly not going to pass any judgment on what's happening in the streets of America right now um, you you know what I mean this is just not my place to say.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is such a complicated thing to, like, monitor your response to because violence, you know, begets violence. And it is not at all morally wrong, I don't think, for violence to be erupting
0: right now in outrage. It's not. And and I will continue to put the blame squarely where it belongs. Right. At the White House. Right. And with these cops who murdered this man and all the cops who have murdered men and women. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, people of color uh, since Jesus, the beginning of fucking time, the beginning of this country. And uh, uh, and so, yeah, I'm. You, you don't don't look to me to condemn anything. Right. Because I won't. Except the gaslighting that's coming out that's coming from uh our authoritarian president.
1: Yeah. I will say though if you're a white person, please do not go out to a protest to fuck shit up. That is not your role. That is not helpful. It is the complete opposite and that is fucked up. And if you know people that are doing that shit, tell them to stop. Yeah. That I condemn.
0: I'll condemn the shit out of that. Yeah. All right. Um we do need to balance this out. Uh, today has been a really heavy day of news, uh, and because of our amazing community of listeners and their in uh, just absolute humbling and incredible support of each other and us and and this just I I really need to honor them uh, right now and and listen to their good news stories because it is the, no, nothing is going to, nothing's going to solve. I, I, I'm not trying to solve anything here. Let me just say that. But I do firmly believe uh, in the power of positivity to look for the helpers, to focus on the peaceful protests and to, to talk about what's good that's happening right now i think it's i think it is more important now than than probably at other times in in at least the history of this podcast so uh, i don't know jordan do you do you agree
1: i agree wholeheartedly and we have a lot of really 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 good news today
0: i would love to hear it um and
1: uh i (laughs) i need it yeah me too and thank you everybody for sending them in Um, please if you can keep sending them in because we do need it and let's kick it off and honor and enjoy the good news that people have sent in today first up is from anonymous anonymous says i'm a minneapolis resident and the recent events in our city has brought out the compassion and kindness this city is known for in the last four days we've seen our city burn as a reaction to the injustices against black bodies in this country I, like many others, couldn't stand by and watch our city burn. Every morning after a night of arson and destruction, communities are banding together to clean, feed, and shelter people who've lost their homes and businesses. Two of the large grocery stores in the Longfellow neighborhood were burned to the ground, leaving behind hundreds of families um, who were already struggling because of COVID-19 with nowhere to buy food for their families. Yesterday... I made a plea for help for my followers to Venmo me some cash so that I may buy groceries, diapers, laundry, soap, etc. for families in need. Within an hour, I had $80 in my Venmo account. That was spent immediately. I proceeded to drop off the food at the aforementioned neighborhood park and was taken aback by the line of hundreds of cars waiting to drop off supplies. After 30 minutes and many tears of happiness later, I dropped off three bags of needed supplies. There were dozens of volunteers and hundreds of grocery bags. Since the post and the initial drop off, I've raised another $600. This money will be used to buy more supplies and donating the rest to Black Visions Collective Minnesota, which is a nonprofit organization working on shaping the political home for Black people across Minnesota. Thank you for reading my good news and hope this brings more donations to the people of Minnesota who need help rebuilding their communities. Thank you.
0: Uh. That's so one. That's just amazing. And I know that um, there are people organizing this kind of stuff all across the country. I know we've had it here in San Diego. We've got cleanups and, and food banks and donations. I, I I saw, I think I sent you a tweet earlier about uh, in Minneapolis where uh, people came and cleaned up and then just left bags of groceries for people to come and collect. And I, And I mm-hmm. thought to myself, I bet one of our Listeners had something to do with that. Um, mm-hmm. We 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 met folks. We've been to Minneapolis. We've Minneapolis, St. Paul. We've what an amazing, incredible group of of uh, people that that live there and work there. And um, thank you. I was I was right. I knew that one of our listeners would be doing something exactly like that. So thank you for mm-hmm. that. Can we tweet out? It she did they did they send a link to uh, where they can d- uh, donate?
1: i didn't see the venmo but um they did say that passes the money will be used to buy more supplies and donating the rest to black visions collective minnesota so you could look that up
0: um but maybe let's ask mandy
1: yeah yeah maybe she'll know um what the the email was it ha- has a way to reply to them and see yeah, maybe
0: we can amplify that. I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to Mandy to see if we can get that link see if we can get more donations coming her way. Yeah.
1: Um, next up from Cynthia. Cynthia says, more good news from Minneapolis. Each day after a night of protests and destruction and looting and fires, the helpers come out with shovels, brooms, and garbage bags, wearing work gloves and masks to clean up broken glass and debris for the night before. Since many of the businesses destroyed were the only source of food and supplies for the people living close to the Lake Street area, food donations were collected and disseminated at a middle school in the Longfellow neighborhood, which is near the epicenter of protests and destruction. One thing this horrible week has brought us in Minneapolis is a closer connection to our neighbors as we email each other tips on staying safe and plan together to be watchful for suspicious activity. Though we are a COVID hotspot, people are wearing masks as we connect and support each other. Thank you, Cynthia. Another version of really good news coming out of the wake of something pretty, pretty intense (laughs) and the initial act being awful and egregious. Um, Next up from KB in North Carolina. My now six-year-old daughter shares a birthday with Jordan happy belated birthday Aww. jordan she's been <laughs> uh she's been struggling pretty hard thank you also she's been struggling pretty hard with missing her friends extended family teachers and classmates her kindergarten class has a scheduled vocabulary's z- vocabulary zoom lesson every friday morning usually led by the teacher's assistant for her class at the end of the lesson that day they wrapped up vocab early so her little classmates could take turns telling her happy birthday and what they miss about her and then her teacher signed into the meeting to surprise her and lead them all in singing happy birthday. For a few minutes on her birthday, the pandemic was gone and she was the happiest kid in the world. My wife is a high school oh. teacher, so I'm surrounded by the awesomeness of educators every day. But seeing it from a parent's perspective makes me so grateful. They are magical creatures and they deserve all of our respect. Happy birthday. Oh. Yes. Happy birthday. <laughs> That's so sweet. I know. God, it makes the biggest difference when your friends and, like, community shows up and says, happy birthday to you. It's the nicest feeling.
0: It's really cool. I know. And teachers are heroes, man.
1: Yes, my God, yes. Uh, Next up from Anonymous. Anonymous says, just a thank you in a time when psych meds are still widely stigmatized i want to commend mandy for opening up about the positive journey she's had i've been weaning off clonazepam and still taking my ssri and things are still going great in a beast fuck of a year (laughs) proud of you guys for doing right in a weary world also if you're going my wife and i will see you at black lives matter san diego caravan this weekend oh
0: sweet nice i didn't know there was i gotta look that up I know. I I hadn't heard about this one either. I usually hear usually get alerts.
1: Or oh, this must be the one on Saturday. Actually, I heard there was something Saturday. I bet that's what it is. But yes, thank you. Um, next up from Lexi, some good news. About two weeks ago, Oregon had an election. One of the most covered races was the District Attorney of Multnomah County.
0: Multnomah. Oh yeah, Multnomah. Multno- Multnomah. Multnomah. That that Multnomah. was in that. Uh, Malt- no, that was at the the county from that one documentary about that kid who killed the people but didn't kill the people. Do you remember that? Ah, what was Oh that wow, No. It was a it was a Netflix six-part docu series, like anyway. true crime thing. Yeah, Weird. it was a true crime thing.
1: Ah, uh, you would know. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> Loves true crime. Um the progressive candidate Mike Schmidt won on a reform holding the police accountable and addressing racial and economic disparities platform. Both candidates had getting rid of bail as platform cornerstone. Uh, Oregon doesn't have a bail bonds business, so it is much easier to get rid of bail. His opponent was a very traditional DA candidate. Mike, the progressive candidate, won with over 75% of the vote. Voting for change can work. He is very qualified, and we might actually get change. He worked for the DA's office for seven years and then headed a department whose sole job was to research criminal justice reform. He was endorsed by the governor, our congressional representative, and John Legend. Go, Oregon.
0: Woohoo. Yay! Yes. That's so great. Um That is that's awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. That is news. Yes. And our final bit of good news comes from Gail. Gail says, you may have already seen this online, but with all the bad news that has come out of Flint, Michigan, I didn't want it to fall through the cracks. Amidst all the current protests, there was good news in Flint, Michigan, when a sheriff found a way to become part of the solution rather than the problem. He put down his baton to listen to protesters. They chanted, walk with us, so he did. He also said, I want to make this a parade, not a protest. There's a more complete article here, and then Gail sends a link to Detroit News, if you just Google Detroit. Detroit News, uh, Flint Sheriff. I'm sure it'll be the first thing that pops up. I have seen that video,
0: and it's. I highly recommend watching it. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Um, I'm glad somebody sent that in. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, that is our good news, everybody. Thank you. Very powerful. Yeah, very powerful, and my heart felt better for a second. Yes. Thank you. Now the tsunami of um intense sadness and uh anger is encroaching once again (laughs) it's not a long live high the good news section no i know currently but it is it was it was there and thank you and i'm i'm really happy that you all are having the experience of community building in the aftermath of you know some of the destruction that some cities are seeing i know la mesa had a similar thing i had friends posting about that that said it was like one of the most profound human experiences they ever had in their life people just like coming together and not only coming together but also understanding why it happened too and people just still being there for everybody kind of like all at once while effectively you know so a lot of them just lost an, an incredible amount of things and um uh, thank you for articulating that and thank you everybody else for all, all of
0: your good news too please keep sending them in <laughs> and i mean that's the hope right that those these are the silver linings the, these are the better angels of our nature the, this is what when people say uh we will come out of this stronger uh, these are the these are the stories that are the foundation of that strength and and uh i'm i'm just i'm i'm constantly blown away by how many wonderful amazing caring compassionate people there are uh and yeah and i'm really got to focus i really got to try to focus on that because the way that the the media is spinning this is that it's death and destruction and riots and violence and and that's just such a small part of of who we are as an, as a nation, and and mm-hmm. it's. Thank just thank you so much to everybody for sending in your good news stories. We we really need those today, and and continue, please, to send them in because I don't see this letting up. Um. This time in our history, uh. But you know, Jordan, you've talked a lot about the pendulum. Mm -hmm. and that it has to swing back. And because of these good news stories, people doing things like this, I I know that it will.
1: Mm -hmm. Definitely. For a long time, we've been very acutely aware of who the bad people are. And when these moments happen, we get to become
0: very acutely aware of where all of the good people are. Awesome. Well put. Thank you, Jordan. I know this was a long segment, um, but we couldn't not address what, you know, you know, we can't, we could yeah. not talk about it. So, thank you for those good news updates. And, uh, do you have any final thoughts before we go? Um, I think uh, I have a quick final thought. Going to
1: protests are important because the sheer number of bodies that are there is largely what makes up, you know, a big portion of the sort of power that's perceived by authority if you will around the country that's outside obviously of the power that's derived by and entirely led by and propagated by black leaders right now but when you show up it it does it makes a difference for sure if you can um being there as a white person is important being smart and aware of your privilege and your role in the protest is very important but being there is very important. If you can't be there, that's totally okay. Donate to bail funds. Look up local bail funds. So many people are getting arrested in every major city. Yeah, and if
0: if you can't go go to the protests for whatever reason. There's lots of reasons and, you know, that people aren't able to go uh and and that is Okay, that is totally okay. Uh, but maybe maybe show up the next day to help clean up. Maybe find a you know like you said, uh, Jordan find a a, a place to be able to donate bail money to or, or to for the protesters that are arrested or, you know, right. Somebody you you said your friend said it was like the most ama- amazing human experience to just go and be with mm-hmm. the folks helping clean up in the aftermath. That is something that's much safer, and if you feel safer doing that um by you know by all means but you know uh, do what you can you know do what you can
1: yes totally yeah i was real protest heavy on the front end just because i've been having a lot of i mean ag you and i are two white people talking about a entirely black issue um at least in the narrative right now as it stands people of color women of color trans people of color lgbtq plus people of color get murdered every day uh right now forefront of the discussion is black lives and it's important for white people to talk to each other and I know a lot of our audience is white so it's really important for me to say you know that that protesting element it might feel like weird or uncomfortable because you're like oh I'm white like what do I what do I do what's my role there is this really Is this really effective of course what I'm saying is just my opinion as another white person but you showing up is effective in whatever way you can. It is one hundred percent effective. If anything, for the little girl of that racist piece of shit dad that brings her out to a protest and points at all the protesters and says they're they're evil and they hate cops and they want to be violent, and instead of that little girl looking out at a sea of black people, she looks out at a sea of a bunch of different people. That alone in itself is worth going out if you're okay with it and you're safe and you're healthy and you're comfortable. Outside of that protesting chapter, like I said, and like you said very eloquently, there are so many other things that you can do and do those things and be visible about those things in a conscious way and fucking, like, this is a moment that we all need to rise to. There's no excuses. This is it. We're in it
0: right now. Yeah exactly do do what you're able to do what you can do what you feel safe doing do what you feel safe doing Uh, but like you said jordan i think i think your point being and the reason that you brought up the protests in the beginning is that you shouldn't feel weird about going and being part of this group yes um that i think is 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 your point and i 100 percent agree with that Uh, some of the most powerful um Things I've seen uh coming you know coming out of this is just the diversity and the strength of of the of the groups of peaceful protesters um so yeah um everyone just be safe and and do what you can yeah yeah we have to we have to rise to this moment I agree then fortunately there are many many ways to do that um Thank you for that, totally. final thought, Jordan. It's very important, of course. And uh, um, all right, that is it. That is our show. Um, thank you for hanging in and listening. I know that this has been an incredibly long segment. It could have been its own show, but uh, we really, I really <laughs> needed to, I really needed to say some of those things. And Jordan, thank you for for bringing us the good news today. Mandy, thanks for putting it together. Totally. Thank you, Mandy, and thank you. Yeah. I love you. love you guys. Everyone, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been AG. I've been Jordan Coburn. And them is the Beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazzal and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.